Welcome to Live Arts Market Pulse on the Artelligence Podcast. Each week, Live Arts sales team discusses the most important subjects in the ever-changing art marketplace. I'm your host, Marion Maneker. In this episode of Live Arts Market Pulse, Arena Novak takes us through the Independent Art Fair. We discuss the Armory Show Fair in New York, strong auction sales for David Hockney, Ernie Barnes, and Lynn Drexler, and then George O'Dell talks us through Brussels as an art market. I hope you enjoy it. It is um, September 16th, and we are starting to talk about the art market here in New York and around the world. It's been a busy week recently with a lot going on, and I thought we could take this time to talk to George O'Dell and Irina Novak, who are both sales uh, whizzes at uh, Live Art, to talk a little bit about the New York fairs. Uh, uh, We'll get into some of the auctions that took place in the last week, and since um, George is in Brussels, we may have a brief conversation with George about what's going on in Europe, and Arena has been to a few local uh, uh, shows that we also want to talk about. So let's get started with uh, the fairs. George, did you make it to both Independent and the Armory show here in New York? I made it. I made it to the Armory. Um, You know, I thought it was the Armory always kind of comes very quickly after the summer, after Labor Day and kind of always catches me a little off guard. Um, But I thought it was a nice showing. Good to see also a little bit of secondary and post-war stuff there as well um you know overall the vibe felt strong people seemed excited to be back on the ground and you you know you kind of forget that armory is one of these fairs that while it's international it attracts a very national crowd too so you get collector american collectors who kind of annually come in just for this one fair so it's a totally different breed of um of collectors i um you know, I had a nice chat with a dealer from Switzerland who was at the fair. He said he had really good sales in the, you know, the mid-market kind of 50 to 150K range. Um, it was his first time doing the fair um, and said it was a really good learning experience and having stayed on a good way to meet American collectors on the ground. Um, so so generally positive, I think. I spoke to one advisor who who felt like the independent was, you know, a sort of uh, head and shoulders above, which is, is not usually the way we um, think about these uh, affairs. Arena, you have uh, uh, an opinion having been to independent? Oh, yes. It was actually the first fair that I went to before the armory. Um, so this is the first edition of the fair dedicated to the 20th century. It was exciting to see many undervalued painters come to light at the fair. Um, there were 32 exhibitors this year, and it was surprising to me to learn that only four solo booths were dedicated to female artists and just 10 to the artists of color. Uh, one booth, though, that stood out to me in particular was a solo presentation by Enmon Gallery. It was dedicated to a late female painter, Dorothy Antoinette. I believe that's how you pronounce her her name, but she went by Tony, which makes it very easy for collectors to remember her nickname. She died in 2002, uh, just one year before she turned, you know, she would turn 101. So she literally lived through the 20th century. 
And back in the day, what was interesting, she studied under Hans Hoffman and um, she produced many uh, works on paper. She wasn't too prolific on canvases. That's what I heard. And she's more on the geometric and abstract side. And the gallery value is a small work on paper at around like $9,000. And interestingly enough, I didn't find any auction records for her pieces. Um, but anyways, I would totally recommend taking a look at her work. And another booth that I really liked was um, by Alexandria Gallery from the Lower East Side. They presented Vincent Smith. Uh, he's a late, um, he was a late African-American painter. And he, I believe, definitely belongs to the era of Jacob Lawrence, who was uh, a fun fact, uh, a best man at his wedding. The gallery had a solo exhibition with him earlier in the year, and he uses unconventional materials in his painting, like sand and rope, which I find very interesting, the way the texture plays out on the surface. And apparently two of his paintings were sold between 55 and 40,000, but the prices fetched up to like 70,000. Definitely someone to pay attention to. So you felt like there were a lot of discoveries to be made there. Yes, for sure. Um, I mean, there were so, it, it was very abundant in the new names that I've never heard of. And just, um, it was very good energy, I would say. <laughs> Armory, I heard very mixed impressions from, um, you know, my friends uh, who are either collectors or dealers. Many people liked the edition last year a lot better than this year. Well, I think there was a lot to have to deal with for the Armory. One, the, the you know, the just general constraints that, you know, there was an edition last year. It was the first time that they'd been in the Javits Center. And now this was the second go round. And, you know, some people have made comments that you know, if they could have pared it down by 10 or 20 percent, it might have made a sort of stronger uh, presentation. But But I thought, you know, they were making an effort to be fairly wide ranging. They had, you know, in one corner, Cheech Marine was holding court, uh, you know, with a whole area of galleries that had um, uh, 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 Hispanic artists uh, focus. There was a whole other section uh, devoted to, um, you know, single artist booths where there was a lot of uh, interest in various uh, uh, artists. And there were a couple of, uh, you know, artists like we discussed uh, last week, Safdi, uh, you know, who had some strong uh, work uh, in in various, uh, or at least in, in Cone Gallery. So it, it seemed like, you know, they were trying to have a little bit, you know, something for everyone. And that might have, you know, made it feel a little bit less like it was a focused uh, fair. Did, did you guys notice any themes, you know, as you went through? In terms of the work, I mean, I, I, I just I was struck by there are still a lot of um, African diaspora figurative artists we are being presented with, uh, n you know, new uh, artists in that vein. There's certainly a lot of this sort of colorful uh, abstraction that may also be landscape or figurative, but, you know, sort of crossing the border uh, of that. I, I was curious if you guys had any other sort of takeaways from walking through. Kasia Kazakina, uh, the Artnet reporter, she wrote um, that there is a evolving trend for surrealism. And I totally agree with her. I saw a lot of the, you know, even the shows right now in New York, like Julie Curtis with her solo 
Show and Anton Kern, Fredrickson Fraser with their surreal presentation of Liz Lundy, Caroline Absher, Jenny Morgan at Mother Gallery, and so on. They sort of all follow this fam- familiar surrealist vocabulary. And the theme, I think, was emerged out of like the artists wanting to spice up figurative painting as it does get repetitive over time. And I mean, what a better place to look than surrealism itself. And the trend was also backed by the Venice Biennale by the Milk of Dreams, um, you know, that explores the legacy of of the movement. And I think it's a strong market mover. And definitely there's a recurring theme. Well, this theme of women surrealists is is clearly kind of playing itself out throughout the uh, art world. But I'd also add to it, you know, Karma has a show of Huey Lee Smith's work that has a very strong, you know, echoing of De Chirico and an oddly, you know, surrealist undertone uh, to it. So I throw that into the mix of uh, the environment. George, you were, you were going to say something? Oh, I, I, I would say, you know, following some of the, the themes that we've already touched on, this kind of, you know, a, a greater churn, right? We still have the African diaspora that's been prevalent for the last few seasons, you know, rediscovery of twentieth, forgotten 20th century. You know, I've been very much a follower of what's been happening in the Latin American, Latinx sector. And to see that have such a prominent kind of place or space um, within the fairs was also quite encouraging. And I agree, I agree on the surrealism part, I think is like a part of a greater conversation about this abstracted landscape abstracted body thing that's kind of, that's coming to the forefront you know if you think outside the fairs Johan Koenig just had a presentation of Camilla Engstrom's work in Berlin uh, Carl Costial had a similar uh, booth of her work at another fair in Copenhagen just before the Labor Day holidays so you know you're seeing both young young and overlooked artists kind of playing into this narrative of bodies in the landscape landscape body as landscape um you know, the abstracted landscape coming coming further and further to the forefront. And, and then very brightly colored um, right, exactly like body abstraction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was really one funny painter that I, um, it was a new name for me. I believe you pronounce him as like Craig Cuchilla or Cusilla. He has a solo presentation. He had a solo booth with the Pit LA. It was very colorful and funny whales. And um, the booth saw like such heavy traffic and all I could hear everyone was talking about those whales. And they actually um, uh, created like those little pins that you can just, um, you know, clip to your tote bag or whatever. And they were handing them out as a souvenir with a smile that nothing was available. <laughs> so I thought it was very interesting, you know, kind of cartoonish uh, characters, um, very, you know, very prevalent these days. Smart marketing. Yes, for sure. <laughs> uh, what about sort of favorite booths? I mean, uh, George, your your boy Andre Butzer had a, a huge booth that, um, you know, that was kind of center stage that was very sort of striking and hard to, to, to miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm, assu- I'm assuming you, you were a, a fan. Was there anything else that stood out? No, I would say I am a fan and I think it was well played on the Hetzler side to bring Butzer to New York because there hasn't been, I mean, there's been Butzer shows in New York, but I don't think there's been this kind of focus on it in the same way. Um, and, and for Hetzler to bring to bring that body of work here, which I thought was a very good overview of, of what 
what the artist is doing these days, you know, put him, you know, in the forefront of the narrative of, you know, what it what is German painting today? And I think that's a that's a broader stroke question and one that I heard and talked a lot about while, you know, while in Europe this week. Um, so no, I think I think that was clearly one of my favorites. And was there anything, I mean, it's always hard to separate this out from favorites, but was there anything that you saw or heard people talking about that you think is going to, you know, substantially move uh, an artist market, you know, this uh, kind of discovery uh, of the, uh, their work at a booth that everyone talked about? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that that armory is that fair that does that or not. I'm not. I'm not totally sure. It sort of. It sort of has the same kind of heat on it as the you know the first big auctions of the season, right? The the September sales. Right. I wanted to point out that there were sort of three significant um, sales events uh, in the last week. One was a single um, lot sale at uh, Bonhams for a Ernie Barnes uh, painting called Solid Rock Congregation that made $1.6 million, which is the fourth highest price for a Barnes, which is, um, you know, just again, confirming the price levels, not the $15 million for Sugar Shack 2, but, but a fairly consistent range of the high six and low seven figures. There was also at Bonhams, but this time in California, a um, Lynn Drexler painting, Green Symphony, uh, that sold for $957,975. I love the, the the symmetry of those no- numbers. Um, and the, which, and the third know, highest yeah. sale of Lynn Drexler. So Bonham's coming through with two records on two re- market rediscover or two you know top five results on rediscovery market. And, and that's something to talk about uh, in a second. Let me just get one last uh, plug in uh, on this. Uh, also on the Drexler, it was announced that um, Mnuchin Gallery, one of the you know, kind of uh, premier galleries with, with access to some of the uh, highest level collectors uh, in the world, is partnering with Barry Campbell, um, to, which represents the Drexler estate, to put on a show in late October for New York's auction season uh, of Drexler, which is, is really you know, kind of a, a moment of arrival for this artist few people had heard of uh, a year ago and now, um, you know, seems to be getting primed for maybe another move up. And then finally, just before I throw it to you, you George and Irina, I wanted to mention that Phillips held a, a it, as part of the edition sale, but they held a um, David Hockney only edition sale that was entirely sold out and made $3.8 million. And I only mention that one, because, you know, it's not like David Hockney is um, a known unknown entity, but to sort of see that and uh, feel that kind of demand, I wanted to get some reaction from you guys, whether that's on your radar, whether you're, you know, is that more of an additions market? Is that, you know, there are not a ton of Hockney paintings available at the lower level and then, and, and that's why people are buying it. Just get a little color from you guys if you had it. I, I would jump in and say, you know, I think part of, you know, Hockney's one of those artists where the edition market can kind of stand stand alone and on its own and in isolation of the greater paintings market. Obviously, you know, a big result for painting sort of lifts all boats to a certain extent. But I think there's enough, you know, universal love for the Hockney aesthetic um, and his output that is in the editions market and category. And two, if you think, you know, I, I always look at editions, if I was purchasing an edition, I kind of think, does the nature of the, is the edition itself a facsimile or is the edition making process part of the greater you know make make sense mechanically in terms of 
artistic output. And I think, you know, if you look at like the paper pulp pools that are sort of each are, each are unique by, by manufacturer and how this relates to some of the other just standard lithograph, you know, Hockney's an artist where I think he can be quite comfortable with his with his addition to output. Um, and I think that has generated its own market from casual enthusiasts to people who are just looking for a nice picture on their wall to, you know, hardcore British art collectors. Uh, and and the Drexler and, and the Barnes, I mean, it seems like these are going to be the continuing themes of the fall season. Totally. And more Barnes. Yeah, Christie's has a couple of Barnes in their mid-season New York sale that the catalog's out for. Um, they also have a Drexler um, mixed in with Frank Bowling, who was, you know, a discovery a couple of years ago before Hauser picked him up, um, and Frankenthaler and some other well, well-known well post-war names. You know, so I think, I think those are trend lines we're going to see undoubtedly whenever the Sotheby's New York sale comes out, there will, there will likely be a Barnes and a Drexler in those catalogs as well. And it seems like those, I mean, I'm sure there will be in some of the day or evening sales come November, but these sales are increasingly tracking the both private market and, uh, you know, in interest. I mean, that Violet um, Drexler, uh, mm-hmm. just from the thumbnail on uh, Christie's, certainly looks like it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, heavily bid on uh, so, if, if the bright green uh, you know a million dollar painting is any indication yeah and I, and I think you know credit to a former a former guest on your podcast Marion you know Julian put together a really nice sale here and it's got a lot of post war and I think that's a trend that wasn't not totally expected for the mid-season sales but it's nice to see this blending of not just wet paint art but 20th century and you know post-war material I think we're going to delve deeper into the the catalogs next week because there's a lot to talk about there I agree with you Julian has done a great job and there's a lot um, of things that really look like they're you know something could happen it's not you know foreordained but there i think a lot of people would be paying attention to these sales because there are plenty of interesting works that there um so uh, uh arena you uh, i know you went to see mario ayala's uh, opening at deitch uh is there anything else would you like to tell us first about that and then is there anything else you've seen in the last week yeah sure um there were so many openings it was so hard to catch up i mean literally every night was (laughs) so busy but with jeffrey deitch um they're you know his openings are always there's something about their energy the whole block for this one at the worcester street location was just occupied with people I mean, it was packed, a mix of young artists who hid their beer cans in the brown paper bags and like high caliber collectors. And Mario Ayala, you know, so many people under one roof and just occupying the entire block. It was a little crazy. But his works, um, they attract that crowd because, again, it's a hardcore L.A. aesthetic, kind of tabloidish. And, um, you know, it's uh, it reminds me a lot of Alfonso Gonzalez, who is represented by Matthew Brown, um, you know, sort of the same L.A. street aesthetic. And um, I think it attracts many collectors. But it actually is interesting since Jeffrey Deitch was a bit of a mentor to Matthew Brown when he just started out. So I can see why and how their programs are similar. Deitch also showed Sasha Gordon back in May. And um, there's definitely a slight trend happening with this particular aesthetic for, you know, the streets and uh, people want to see more of that. And I just wonder who will be the next artist to capture New York in a similar fashion, if we will see some of that happening. You you also uh, saw Lucy Bull, which uh, I'm hoping to see uh, this afternoon. And that, that fits in our conversation about sort of bright, 
vivid, uh, semi-abstract or abstract uh, uh, painters. How was that shift? Oh, um, I was just very happy that there was no line around the block because um, when uh, Kordansky just opened the New York branch back in May, it was insane. Like I was waiting in line for half an hour <laughs> under brutal rain. But thank God, the it was a very light opening, actually. And Lucy Bull is definitely a name that comes up a lot in many conversations. And as you know, her work uh, recently sold at the Sotheby's May, May sale with a jaw-dropping record. And um, so I visited the show, and it was just striking in person because uh, the work that I saw at Sotheby's, it was a lot smaller in scale. But her works really work uh, when it's at grand scale. Uh, I just simply loved it. Um, I mean... It's interesting because um, her color palette moves away from simple tones and it becomes very complicated combination of hues. Um, it, it even like if you look at it closely, like those colors that she's using, they don't work together, but somehow she just makes them work with the scrapping and the oil application. Overall, very interesting textures. And I don't know, I think it's very meditative, speaks, uh, speaks volumes without really making a statement. And um, I think it's easy to live with for some collectors who have an opportunity to get her work. And it definitely helps that her market is growing and she's up and coming. The, the line around the block for Lucy Bull is just the waiting list. Yes, that's very true. That's so very George, George, you are in Brussels right now. Now, you care to give us am, a, a little on the ground report? I'm actually back from Brussels. Um, I got back late late yesterday, and I, I will add that everyone should go see the new Magenta Plane Space. Now that it's opened with three new shows, uh, Liza Lacroix on the ground floor is particularly fantastic and a great new voice and abstraction. Um, but Brussels was fantastic. It was the week after their gallery week. Um, which really shows that we are back to an art world that is fully global. You know, you can be, you can and might need to be in multiple cities at the same time and you have to pick which ones you want to be at. Um, you know, I went in and saw the new Xavier Hufkin space, which was very crisp and, you know, just so impressive. Um, and the Joe Bradley show there really sung out. Um, you know, really exciting avant-garde stuff coming out of galleries like Super Dakota and, you know, other galleries like STEMS who have had a great run of bringing in really interesting American artists such as Mario Ayala a few years ago um, continues that trend trend with bringing um, about another um, West Coast-based artist and who's working primarily in airbrush, but in figuration and kind of a John Baldessari way of doing name, name, image, wordplay, and non sequiturs. Um, so overall, really good. You know, I think Brussels sometimes gets overlooked by Paris um, in terms of an art destination, but there's great collectors on the ground, you know, collectors who are willing to go for classic things, such as the David Hockney. But at the same time, we'll, we'll buy, you know, the young, you know, just out of grad school artists as well. Um, and I think that creates a really vibrant scene on the ground. Uh, are the galleries in Brussels selling to Belgian collectors or are they uh, just sort of a different location for a broader European group? I, I ask because, you know, there's a, an interesting comparison to be made between Seoul and Brussels and somewhat their sort of future as, as sort of. Uh, centers of the global art world. To I mean, totally. I think, you know, Brussels has that, a similar kind of placement, similar to Seoul. I think there are a lot of collectors in Belgium for the size of the country that it is. Um, I think it's certainly easier to buy art in Belgium than it is in France, which makes things easier. Um, but there, I mean, there are just historically and generation in, re in recent generations very good um, modern and contemporary art collectors so i think the galleries go there to focus on the local clients on the ground i don't think that's a hundred percent a statement 
but I think generally, you know, when I went to see Stems, they it sounded like the majority of the show that they had was sold to local collectors, even though the artist has a global demand. So, so more like soul. I mean, that that's Correct. the comparison I was making is that yeah. it's a, there's a domestic market that is very strong and galleries are there to sell domestically, but that's also seems to be attracting international collectors yeah. because of the gallery presence. You know, I think, Gladstone originally opened was the sort of the first to open an outpost there many years ago did so because one of their directors is Belgian or now a believe partner but you know looking at galleries like Nino Meyer turning up from LA to Brussels right like why not stop in New York along the way but to have this outpost there to be more connected to the Northern European and specifically Belgian collectors, I think is incredibly smart. Cool. Well, folks, we're trying to keep these short. I promise um, maybe by next week I will have mastered how to do questions. Uh, having uh, bobbled it earlier at the beginning of this call, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ask for questions right now, but uh, uh, next week we'll, we'll try and give it a go and we'll probably focus on the catalogs um, for the uh, New York midseason uh, sales. Uh, and of course, any big events that come up um, in the intervening time. Uh, George, thank you so much for your time. Arena, it's always a pleasure to hear from you. My pleasure. And uh, Arena, I think we're going to have to have a long discourse on this um, L.A. Latin American um, emergence of art because there's some other names to throw into that canon. For sure. <laughs> oh, maybe we'll do a special, uh, you know, uh, Market Pulse uh, conversation uh, around a theme like that. Definitely. Until next That's time. Great. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you for joining us for Live Art's Market Pulse. The Artelligence podcast is edited by Colin Ketchum, who also composed the original music. Come back next week or subscribe to at Art Market on Twitter and join our live Twitter space. <laughs>